0: Good morning. We are always thankful that you are with us. We are always thankful for the opportunity to be together, both to our members. Uh, Certainly we're thankful to see you and also to our visitors. We're thankful that you've come our way. We have some who are uh, not quite visitors, but are family that we don't see quite as often as we'd like. We're thankful to see you and others who are visiting for the first time. We're just grateful for the opportunity to be together. And thankful for the chance to encourage ourselves uh, both in this time of worship and in Bible study and also in the time of fellowship that we get to spend around our services. And as we've said and just tried to emphasize uh, multiple times that we will be meeting again at, at 1.30 this afternoon uh, to worship again, to have a period of singing and a period of Bible study. And we want you to be aware of that and encourage others with that. We tried to share it on our social media sites and webpage and things so that, uh, in particular, if you know of anyone who sometimes maybe passes by uh, on the vacation or something and, and uh, usually stops on a Sunday evening, uh, they would need to know that so we won't, that we won't be here at that time, but that they uh, uh, can see us and, and meet with us here at 1.30. Uh, the other thing that we want to mention that we've said already, uh, Jerry mentioned it in class, and we've talked about it a bunch, is, is the idea of those who'd be interested in staying for a period of lunch after services and have this fellowship and uh, I want to talk about that for just a minute as we get started. Uh, hopefully, you'll, you'll understand why we're kind of emphasizing this. But, but I believe that this has the potential, and I think a lot of us do, to really help our congregation grow together uh, if you're interested in being able to stay. But there's also a way that it could be handled where it really kind of hurts the congregation. And here's how we can kind of avoid that. When we have services this afternoon, and or have services are concluded in just a moment, if you want to stay... We want you to be able to stay. Uh, we're not going to take roll. We're not going to give demerits if you don't stay for lunch by any means. We understand if, uh, if my family, for some reason, maybe we've been out of town all day on a Saturday and don't get home till ten or eleven o'clock at night, and it's going to be hard to get food together. Or, you know, maybe a time that we don't stay, and that would go the same for your family or or for ours or anybody. You're welcome to run out and uh, grab some lunch and come back at one thirty. In fact, our family, last Sunday, we hosted the teen singing here. Our family ran out to El Matate up there by Walmart, and we weren't hurrying. We kind of pulled out, uh, finished eating lunch at about 1.15 on the nose. We were just kind of checking the clock. We were back by 1.30. It worked out just perfect. And so you can do that. You're also welcome, if you don't have time to to fix food, kind of like we do sometimes for a potluck, by all means, run up the road to Burger King or Wendy's or somewhere like that and and pick something up and bring it back and and sit and eat and fellowship with us. That's kind of the goal of this. Uh, if you're interested in the Braves or sports, you can sit and talk to Don and I. If, if you've never heard a good Travis Friedell story, Travis will probably tell stories if you want to sit and visit with him. I don't know if Mary Robertson will always stay, but she does some good political impersonations if you ever want to hear any of those. So uh, we, we kind of have a good time. We, a lot of us really enjoy laughing and sharing in that, so you're welcome to. But if you do stay, we simply ask that you bring enough food for your family. Uh, you know, one thing that we've, some folks have mentioned is that we do themes like a, a soup day or something particular, but that usually means that, that somebody has to be in charge of that. And if we don't know if you're going to stay or you don't decide until maybe Saturday night, then, then it can get really confusing uh, come Sunday afternoon. So as you kind of see here, just as a note of suggestion, uh, maybe your family brings some type of meat, one or two sides or vegetables, a dessert and drinks just enough to cover your family. Now, we might also suggest that you bring enough for your family plus one. Now, that gives us a couple of things, a couple of benefits. Number one, we don't have to worry about not having enough food for those who stay, period. But two, it also gives us an opportunity to maybe help feed some of our elderly and widows and widowers who might be interested in staying for fellowship. I think, for instance, most of us would agree that we don't want some of our dear older ladies to have to worry about fixing a bunch of dishes and bringing them with them and trying to get here on Sunday, well, we can show that. We can prove that by maybe providing a little bit extra so that there are no questions asked and some of our widows and widowers can stay and enjoy the fellowship with us. Think about it this way if for some reason every person here leaves and goes to lunch but the Danleys, but we've brought enough for our family, then there's no problem, right? It doesn't matter. We're covered. Or think about if the Groves maybe. For just suggestion are bringing more than enough every time, and some other people are not bringing anything and then one Sunday the groves decide to stay, or they 're out of town, then all of a sudden there isn 't enough food, so we just have to make sure that we bring enough because here 's the thing and it 's mentioned on the slide here uh, this can be great and can provide times of fellowship or it can become a point of bitterness. And I say that because we have heard of at least one congregation uh, that we know of that tried something like this, and it caused a problem between those who were bringing enough and others who would just kind of show up and stay and try to eat uh, what everyone else had brought and maybe weren't pulling their weight. Uh, If some people are not bearing the load or not helping bear the load, then it can cause those who are working extra to be sure there is enough. It can create bitterness instead of period of good fellowship. So, once again, this is not a statement to push you to stay to eat lunch with us, although if you want to, we'd love to have you, and it can be an encouragement, but it's just an encouragement that we take this in such a way that it doesn't become a problem. And some of you may have seen that I shared this on my Facebook page, and this is going to be really small for most of you, but a lady commented on there, and I saw it uh, before this morning, and I added it. It's a lady that we know from out in West Tennessee, and she said, I know several congregations that do this, and I love the idea. Longer periods at a time for services also just encourages deeper conversations and friendships, in my opinion. There are opportunities to go beyond, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. And then we kind of separate and go our different ways. Now, once again, that's not to say that anybody has to stay, but it's just an encouragement that hopefully we can take advantage of this period of time. And above all, we hope that everyone's here at 1.30 as we worship together at that time. Many of you are familiar with this picture on the screen, although a lot of us become more and more familiar that some of the young people in the audience don't recognize this kind of picture as we get further and further from a period where these towers were once standing in New York City. These two towers were put together and built... And if you have your outline in front of you and you see the title of the lesson, as we think about building things, you know, I've always been fascinated myself with this idea of of buildings and even demolition, as we're going to talk about a little bit, Uh, you know, to think about what it took to create those towers and really any kind of large structure. You know, somebody had to do all the precise measurements. It took a lot of time. It took all the material. I'm I'm amazed sometimes at the connection, the working together that it takes among the different people, the electricians, those who are running the plumbing, all these different folks that are doing all of these things that it would take to put together something of this magnitude. The North Tower, what was called One World Trade Center, began on August the 6th, 1968, and it took uh, about two and a half years, a little over two years, and it was completed on December 23rd, 1970. The South Tower two World Trade Center was begun in January 1969 and was completed in July of 1971. Now, the quick math tells us that together it took almost five years, between four and five years, to complete just those two structures alone there in the New York City high-rise area in the downtown area. And as many of us are familiar with, though, all it took was a little less than three hours An hour and two, or excuse me, 102 minutes for the North Tower and 56 minutes for the South Tower to come crumbling down. Now, yes, we're fully aware of what took place and what caused those buildings to collapse and to wreck them. But five years worth of work came down in a little less than three hours. A little closer to home, many of us remember the good old Georgia Dome, a lot of football games that were played there and events that were hosted there. By my indication and research, it was begun on November the 22nd, 1989 and finished in September of 1992. So again, about three years worth of work. And, and if you ever visited or even if you visit the Mercedes-Benz Dome Stadium that's there now, it's, it's amazing to consider all the work that goes in to building something like that. And even not in a tragic sense, but in a similar situation, it took about 12 seconds. 12 seconds is all it took to bring that building, that structure, come crumbling down. Now, yeah, there's certainly a lot of work. And I think, again, if my research was right, it it took 12 seconds to bring it down, but it still took them almost three to four months to then clean all that up and to begin to pick it up so that then they could use that area again. See, building sometimes takes years, and wrecking sometimes takes seconds or minutes. That's true of the World Trade Center towers. That's true of the Georgia Dome. That's true of lots of structures that have come down over the years. But it's sometimes the true, true in our relationships as well. Most of you may not recognize these two gentlemen, but they were NBA basketball players in the early 1990s. One of them, the one in the Lakers uh, jersey there, uniform on the left, is Vladi Divac. He was a Serbian who came to the United States to play basketball. The one on the right is Drazen Petrovic. He came from Croatia. Now, at the time, if you know your history in the early 90s, those countries together were a part of what was known as Yugoslavia. See, these guys were friends, and they were once considered almost as close as brothers because they were both Yugoslavian, and they both played for the Yugoslavian national basketball team in the late 80s and the early 90s, and they came over and did have a bit of an NBA career together, or at least on, on separate teams. Now, while they played for the Yugoslavian national team, during that time, there were the Yugoslav wars that began, and there were a lot of people that were killed in that, a lot of people that were displaced, if you know your history as far as what happened there. And it sort of began to cause a problem between these men, because if you know anything about any of these type of wars between countries, you know, if you're from one place and you don't like people from the other place, and again, Divac was Serbian, Drazen Petrovic was Croatian, and although they played together on the Yugoslavia national basketball team, their brothers were back at home fighting against one another. Well, this all came to a head in 1991 at what was known as the FIBA European Championship. The Yugoslavian national basketball team won that championship here in this picture. Uh, They were great not with, with those two guys combined and many other people. They were a very good team, and they won this 1991 European Championship. But what was known as a strong relationship between these two guys was ripped apart in that moment right there because a man ran out onto the court after the game was over with a Croatian flag and Vladi Divac reached over as a Serbian and just swiped the flag out of his hand and, and cast it aside. So he was upset because of the problem between their countries and their families and this person bringing a Croatian flag out as the Yugoslavian team was winning this championship and him doing that caused a problem between these two guys. And they spent the next almost two years not speaking to one another. I don't know when the first picture was taken, but they had been friends, had been as close as brothers, and in that moment, that was all gone. Now, here's the problem with that. Just two years after that moment, in 1991, in 1993, Drazen Petrovic was killed in a car accident in New Jersey. And there's been stories that have been done, ESPN has done movies about these two guys, and the one thing that Vladi Divac still says to this day is, I never apologize." We never fixed that problem. We went two years not speaking to one another after that moment wrecked their friendship. And he never got a chance to fix it until he was gone. And it was too late. You see, we're going to talk about this morning, are you a part of the building crew or the wrecking crew? Whether it's a a large dome or tall towers or whether it's a, a personal relationship. It could take a lot of time to build that up in just seconds moments, one instance to tear it down. How does that apply to us as Christians today? Let's begin thinking about what the Bible has to say about some wrecking crews. If you have your Bible, look with me in Nehemiah chapter 6, the book of Nehemiah chapter 6. The first set of, of wrecking crew that we might talk about, I labeled it here as Sanballat and Company If you've ever ever studied the book of Nehemiah, you know that it includes Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and others who are listed in Nehemiah chapter 6. And this is actually a literal wrecking crew, right, here in Nehemiah, because Nehemiah is going about trying to rebuild the wall. And while they don't have success in necessarily destroying the wall in this moment, they are literally part of the wrecking crew wanting to prevent them from building the wall. And so when we think about Sanballat and company, we notice then that they are involved in trying to prevent the work. So much so that in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 17, it says that those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at the construction and with the other they held a weapon. See, these guys, these folks, and those who they had gathered together to join them were so intent on stopping the work on the wall that it caused those who were helping Nehemiah to rebuild the wall to have to try to work divided, working with one hand and being ready to fight with the other hand. The rest of chapter 4 details some of the things that they would go through and how they were trying to work and how others were trying to protect, and how they would sometimes rotate that. And then we get to chapter 6, and we see that they are still trying to bring Nehemiah away from the work. They're a part of the literal, physical wrecking crew, but they're not the only ones. We go forward to the New Testament, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we meet a couple of other guys here. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. I'm going to challenge your spelling this morning as you're trying to jot down those notes. You know, we've talked about this in our Wednesday night class. as We've studied the book of Philippians. Can you imagine receiving a letter? What if we, at the, as the Saudi church here, were still around or were around then, and Paul were able to send us a letter, and it's brought before the congregation, whether it's by the preacher or one of our elders, gets up and unfurls this scroll, a letter from Paul, and then you hear... I write to Joel or whoever, and you hear your name and you want to get excited. Paul's written me, he's included my name. And then he says, Joel needs to do better and fix his problems. And you're mortified and aghast thinking about what Paul has just said. Well, Hymenaeus and Alexander are two men. We don't know much about them, but we see in verses 18 through 20 that they are, we might say, perverters of truth. They're making shipwreck. Literally using the word wreck again, making the word making shipwreck of the faith. Now don't miss the point as well. if anybody knows about shipwreck, it's the Apostle Paul who had been shipwrecked and understands these things. He knows what it's like and he's talking about that these two men are making a wreck. they are destroying the faith and by the faith, of course he's also talking about the, the church here, the congregation of people that he is writing to. And he even says here that they were delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, we believe that this section of scripture, or this verse in particular, is talking about being disfellowship. Someone who maybe with, with uh, fellowship is withdrawn from and maybe they have been separated from the church because of what they are doing. There are some other Alexanders listed in the Bible. We, we don't know much about this one. But Paul says, I am concerned. I am worried about those who are trying to shipwreck the faith and the church here. See, Hymenaeus and Alexander hear their name as this letter is being read before the people, but they should be terrified because they're causing trouble, and the apostle Paul is calling them out for wrecking, being a part of the wrecking crew. We see as well in the book of 3 John, if you have your Bible, you can turn to 3 John, no chapter, of course, as it's just one chapter or 14 short verses. But one of the other men that we sometimes know by name is Diotrephes. Diotrephes in Third John verses 9 through 12. John would write, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. You see, Diotrephes is also a part of the wrecking crew. We don't know much about him either, but what we do know is not good. And we can certainly classify him as being a part of the wrecking crew. Those who want to tear down. And just like the picture of those towers or the Georgia Dome or whatever it may be, you can imagine the Apostle Paul's hurt as he spent time among these people. He's worked hard at helping to build them up, to build their relationships, to build up their faith. And yet he hears, receives word of people like Hymenaeus and Alexander, of people like Diotrephes who are causing problems and wrecking the faith. See, Diotrephes is a disruption. He is an evil influence. He loved preeminence, which basically means he loved to be the boss. He loved to be first. He wanted all the attention. He wanted to be the one to make the decision. And that was causing a problem. It was wrecking the church, I believe. And Paul wants, or excuse me, here, John, John wants to call him out on that and make it known that he needs to be separated. You need to be aware of that and to try to avoid that at all costs. These folks, all the ones who were listed, even going back to Sanballat and his crew of people in Nehemiah, all of these folks had earned a name, and their name was wrecking. Their name was causing trouble and creating problems, and they got called out for it. And as we said, even about the book of Philippians, or excuse me, Philemon on Wednesday night, we don't know the end result. Does Paul call them down for what they're doing and they fix it? Do they continue on? Certainly, Diotrephes is a problem, and it seems like he has problems with others, too, not just Paul. But they are truly a part of the wrecking crew. Now, before we go on to talk about building, let me ask you a question. How can we be a part of the wrecking crew today? What is it that we could partake in that might cause a problem? You know, most of you, myself included, Anyone probably over the age of a teenager would not have guessed two years ago that things like masks and vaccines and other things would cause a problem among Christians, but it has. What about complaining about the service times and when we're going to meet and what the elders decide to do? What about gossiping amongst one another, of what you hear about others or what you think you know and you need to tell? What about complaining in general If we're not careful, all of these things can cause us to be a part of the wrecking crew. And you see, I I firmly believe as I look around this room and we could all look at each other that no one one comes intent sometimes on, on wrecking this congregation or causing problems, but we get caught up in what we believe to be the best. Maybe we get caught up sometimes even in a little bit of preeminence like diatrophies and we cause a problem. And next thing you know, we're dividing and we're wrecking the good things that are going on as a part of our congregation. What is it that we could be involved in? Well, there's a long list, a lot longer than what I mentioned, that we should be on guard about to be sure that we do not join the likes of these folks that we've already talked about. But of course, on the other side of the coin, there's the building crew. If you have your Bible, let's look at Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 and verse number 19. I put Paul here because, of course, he's writing to those in Rome. We could might include the Romans, the Roman church in this. But but Romans chapter 14 and verse 19, Paul would write and encourage them. He would say, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. That's the New King James. Probably the best to, to talk about building up would be if you have an English Standard Version. In front of you, it may use the word building up, but let us pursue those things which make for peace and the things by which one may build one another up. Is that what we are seeking after? The encouragement from Paul is that we have a choice. We can be a part of the building crew, or we can be a part of the wrecking crew, and we have a choice. We can seek the things which are evil, the things that cause divisions and problems, or Although we have strong feelings about those things sometimes, we can try to set them aside and be a part of pursuing things that make for peace and that build one another up. You see, I I would be heartbroken, and I think most of you would agree, to walk out that door and learn later that I caused somebody problems today, whatever it was. Now, not necessarily from the preaching or the preaching of the truth, but if I said something that hurt somebody's feelings, if somebody thought I was gossiping, it would, it would tear me apart to think that I had done something to discourage someone else. I think most of us feel that way most of the time, but we have to try to practice what Paul has encouraged these Roman brethren with here. Also, we think about the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Once again, if you have an English Standard Version, it's probably going to render a little better for what we're talking about here. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, Paul would write here again and encourage them and say, Therefore, comfort each other and edify or build one another up, just as you also are doing. You see, these Thessalonians were good at it. They were practicing building one another up. He says you're doing that, but he continues to encourage them, and we're going to come to this in just a moment, but he continues to encourage them. If you read the beginning of that, chapter 5, I mean, about being concerned about the day of the Lord, being on guard, being ready, being prepared, not being slothful and waiting and not concerned about it, but if you are prepared, therefore... Comfort one another and build one another up with these things. Be a part of the building crew, those who are encouraging other people, that we all are able to leave, whether we stay or for lunch or not or whatever it is. Our interaction today is positive. And then we take that and we share that with the world. What is it today? Again, I ask you before we move on, what is it today that you could do Not just this day, this moment, but going forward. What is it that you could do to help be a part of the building crew? We know this congregation is great at the cards and the calls and the visits. We try to always remind ourselves to do those things, and many of you are great at that. What about attending all the services of the church? Not just being here at 930 or 1030 or 130, but Wednesday night if you can. You know, part of our change to 1.30 has been because some of our folks aren't able to get out at night in the dark, and so we understand that, and our numbers sometimes drop down lower on Wednesday nights. Some of our older folks, that's the first thing they'll say to me, or certainly the last thing as they're leaving. And we know we won't get to see you on Wednesday nights. I understand. We, we know that. We want you to be safe and protect yourself as best you can in that way. But what about attending all services that I can? What about attending our extracurricular activities, game night? The men's Bible study, the women's Bible study, the other things that we have that provide both the spiritual feeding and the time of study, but also the time of fellowship. Also the time of encouraging one another. Those are just a few things that we could do. And once again, we could continue to make a long list. And I want to interject here again. And this world today, with the current climate of our society and what people say, We need to remember that building up can also include positive and encouraging correction sometimes. See, that's the one thing that the world wants to say is you can't tell me I'm wrong. You don't need to tell me that I need to change something. Who are you to judge? And we've talked about this a lot recently, but Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about the beam in your eye and the little plank in your eye, It's not that we cannot judge. It doesn't mean that you're not allowed to tell someone else maybe that they need to change something if they're living a sinful lifestyle, but that you do the proper judging, the proper and loving judging, which is to make sure that the beam is out of your eye, and then you can help someone with their issues. None of us claiming to be perfect, none of us claiming that we all have it figured out, but all of us encouraging one another, building one another up by being able to say, hey, I think this might need to change, or I think this needs to be better, or I think you might need to take a look at this. Which leads us to our last point. Why be a part of the building crew? Why encourage others to do what's right? And the answer is found in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 13. And as I said a moment ago, it even comes uh, further from what we were talking about in in Romans and in uh, the encouragement to the Thessalonians there. But Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 13. Why should we be a part of the building crew? Well, he's talking here about Hardness. Now, if you have your notes in front of you, you'll notice there are one too many blanks for the word hardness. I told you that I was going to challenge your spelling this morning, and that's because I was trying to get bonus points with Dr. Don. But that's because if we want to avoid, if we want to avoid being a part of the wrecking crew, then we need to avoid spiritual arteriosclerosis. And see, I can't even say it. I knew that would happen, right? We need to avoid the hardening of our hearts. You mean with plaque buildup? I mean, you mean with too many double-stuffed Oreos or too much sugar? That's what we need to avoid? Well, maybe in a sense. But what about spiritual hardening? You see, in Hebrews chapter 3, the the Hebrew writer has just given an encouragement, even going back up into verse number 7, back to the children of Israel. I mean, that was the one place they were going to go for an illustration, right? These writers are going to go back to the Jews, the children of Israel, and he's saying that when they were in the wilderness... Everything they could want was provided for them. God cared for them, yet they continued to complain and fuss and whine about things. And so then he comes out of that section and begins in verse number 12 by saying, Beware, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But... But, on the other hand, exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, we have to avoid hardening of our spiritual life. Have you ever seen anybody fall away? You know, we use that phrase, right? We say, oh, this person has fallen away. I might even say it in a minute in the invitation, just out of habit. But if you have fallen away, what does that mean? What does that look like? Have you ever seen anybody fall away? It's obviously not the literal falling backwards of sort, right? But what does that mean? Or how does it happen? Well, let me suggest to our point here, it doesn't happen overnight, right? It doesn't happen with the first double stuff Oreo. It doesn't happen with the first bit of food that you don't need to eat, that the hardening of your arteries is too much. It happens over time. Do you know anyone who has fallen away? And what did that look like? Did it look like that they didn't come at 6 o'clock or now 1.30? And then they didn't come at 9.30? Then they didn't come at 10.30 anymore. They used to come to game night, but they, they stopped coming to game night too. And then it goes by six months, ten months, a year, three years, and maybe then you run into them in the grocery store or in the ballpark. That's what falling away looks like. It's not always immediate. I think about those pictures of those buildings. Yes, the the Georgia Dome came down in 12 seconds. Sometimes it can be very quick. Other times it can be very slow and methodical, that it just builds up over time. We become hardened. Why is it that we need to be a part of the building crew? Why is it that we need to be concerned about these things? It's so that you and I both together don't become hardened to a point where then we don't feel anything and we just kind of give up and we fall away. So as we think about it here, to conclude this lesson, let me ask you, which crew then are you on? You see, we talk a lot in our sermons and especially in the invitation about the two choices that we have. On the day of judgment, you'll either receive and hear the words that you'll go into eternal life or into eternal punishment. And the same is kind of true. We like to find a gray area, but right now we're either on one side or the other. We're a part of the building crew or the wrecking crew. And with that being said, let me make one more plug for our Wednesday night class Uh, This Wednesday night, Charles will be uh, doing something a little different as we have our uh, service before Thanksgiving. We'll be out of town, our family will, visiting family for Thanksgiving. But December 1st, I believe it is, we'll begin a new class on Wednesday nights talking about a book called Church Reset. The idea behind it is kind of that we need to abandon consumerism. You mean don't buy things? No, I mean people that come to the building, they sit in the pews, and they're the consumers. Right? They just take in everything. It's about what we can do for you. And and if service is good enough for you, you consume service in the church. We need to avoid consumerism and we need to rediscover community, building up, encouraging one another. And real quick here before the lesson is yours, our title of our lesson, while it's still biblical, actually comes from a poem that I'd like to share with you. And If you have your, your Bibles or notes, you may want to put those up and get your psalm book out if you want to use uh, one of those in our invitation song in just a moment. But our title actually comes from a poem of unknown origin, as best I can tell. And I'd like to share that with you as we conclude today. Ten little Christians standing in line. One disliked the preacher. Imagine that. One disliked the preacher. Then there were nine. Nine little Christians stayed up very late. One overslept Sunday, then there were eight. Eight little Christians on their way to heaven, one took the low road, and then there were seven. Seven little Christians uh, chirping like chicks, one disliked the singing, so then there were six. Six little Christians seemed very much alive, one lost interest, then there were five. Five little Christians pulling for heaven's shore, one stopped to rest, so then there's only four. Four little Christians, each busy as a bee, one got his feelings hurt, then there were three. Three little Christians knew not what to do, one joined the sporty crowd, and then there were two. Two little Christians, our rhyme is nearly done, differed with each other, and then there was one. One little Christian, can't do much, tis true, brought his friend to Bible study, and then there were two. Two earnest Christians, each one one more, that doubled the number, and then there were four. Four sincere Christians worked early and late, each one another, and then there were eight. Eight splendid Christians, if they doubled as before, in just so many Sundays, we'd have 1,024. In this little jingle, there is a lesson true. You either belong to the building or the wrecking crew. It's that simple in a lot of ways. We can do our best to encourage one another and build one another up, or sometimes, even by doing nothing, we tear one another down. So which crew are you a part of this day? You see, to be a part of the building crew, you need to be a part of the family of God. And as we extend heaven's invitation and are about to sing this song of invitation that's through its words, we might encourage you, maybe you were here this morning and you need to become a child of God. You need to be baptized for the remission of your sins so that the Lord can add you to his church. We would gladly do that this day, but we would also gladly study with you this day to help you understand what the Bible has to say about becoming a Christian, being added to the church, and being faithful unto death because that's what comes next is remaining faithful. But yes, many of us, as we get caught up in life, struggle, and we so-called fall away, or we're not faithful any longer, sin enters our life, and we're separated from God, we're thankful for the opportunity to encourage you as well if you are in that category as a Christian who needs to come back to Him. There's no better place than with the family of God as we're gathered here to make a change, to either become a Christian or come back to Him, even now as we stand together and as we sing.